Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. So it's John chapter 20, and I'm beginning to read from verse 24. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hand, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who've not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Have you ever been in the wrong place at the wrong time? At the moment, during lockdown, we're all in the same place all the time. But think back to those days when, when, we, when we could go places and do things. Have you had that experience where you just weren't in the right place at the right time? And as a result, you missed out on something significant. It's happened to me on more than one occasion. A few years back, the family took a trip to Chatsworth House. I can't recall why I wasn't there, but I wasn't. And, and when they came back, they showed me pictures of the Queen. They'd met the Queen. And I wasn't there. On another occasion, when I worked for a church in London, David Suchet turned up at the church. David Suchet, the actor who, who plays Poirot. And I was away preaching at another church. And so the staff team all met him and I wasn't there. It, it seems I'm often in the wrong place at the wrong time. That said, none of my missed experiences have been devastating since missing out at Chatsworth House, I have now met the Queen. And even though I haven't met David Suchet, I did bump into Barbara Windsor. You know, Barbara Windsor, uh, who played Peggy Mitchell in EastEnders. We met in the do doctor's surgery and she said to me, all right, darling. And then she laughed. And so that made me feel much better. None of my wrong place, wrong time experiences have been devastating, but they can be. I think of the media report of the death of a young man last year on Camden High Street. One of his friends said he was a normal guy, he wasn't involved in gangs or anything like that. He was just on the high street. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time, he said. Sometimes being in the wrong place at the wrong time is a matter of life and death. And that's the case in this section of John chapter 20. Look, look with me at verse 24. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hand, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. We saw it last week. Jesus appeared to the disciples while they were in lockdown. But now we discover that Thomas wasn't there with them. Thomas was in the wrong place at the wrong time. 
the resurrected Jesus appeared to the disciples just when Thomas had, well, I don't know, popped out to the local shop to buy a packet of crisps or something like that. And when he arrived back from the co-op, the rest of the disciples announced to him, we've seen the Lord. And verse 25, Thomas said, I don't believe it. I don't believe you. How can I believe that a man has risen from the dead? He might have said to himself, I saw Jesus die. People don't come back from the dead. I don't believe it and I won't believe it unless I see it for myself. I need to see the nail marks in his hands. I, I need to feel the nail marks in his hands. I need to put my finger in the holes and my hand in the gash in his side. Thomas is a hands-on type of guy and he's not prepared to take the disciples' word for it. He wants proof and not just visual proof, he wants tactile proof. Now look, we are in precisely the same situation as Thomas. We have the eyewitness testimonies of the disciples. We've been studying these eyewitness documents for the past three weeks now. We've heard Mary and then the other disciples say, we have seen the Lord. We have their word for it. But we weren't there. We're in the wrong place at the wrong time. The wrong place, England. The wrong time, the year 2020. 2,000 miles away, 2,000 years too late. And even if we remedy one of those problems, if we go to the right place, we'll always be in the wrong time. I have been to the right place twice, twice I've been to Jerusalem. But if I went there hoping to see Jesus, I'm 2,000 years too late. And unless Doctor Who gives me a lift in the TARDIS, I will always be too late. When it comes to the resurrection, just like Thomas, you and I are in the wrong place at the wrong time. And so if we take Thomas's approach, that's the end of Christianity. By the end of the first century, it's all over. As soon as all the eyewitnesses have died out, if we all say like Thomas, unless I see it for myself, I won't believe it. If that's our approach, then that's it. Well, let's read on verse 26. A week later. His disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. As we've seen through these last weeks, this is a chapter full of eyewitness testimony. Each one adds a new layer. And this is the same. Thomas not only sees the risen Jesus, but he's invited to touch him too. Once again, the disciples are in lockdown. Doors locked, verse 26. They're shielding themselves from the authorities. Jesus has been murdered, so the disciples have good reason to think that they'll be next. So the doors are locked, just as they were a week before. And just like before, presumably to give Thomas precisely the same experience as the disciples had the week before, Jesus stood among them and said, verse 26, peace be with you. It's the same as last week, and yet it is different because this time Thomas is invited to touch the holes in Jesus' hands and, and put his hand in the gash in Jesus' side. So this is an important development in the eyewitness evidence in this chapter. As we've considered these last weeks, down through the years, there have been any number of attempts to discredit the evidence for the resurrection. Some have suggested that the bodily resurrection of Jesus was just in the minds of the disciples, that it was an hallucination, that it was no more real than thinking that you've seen a ghost. 
But this evidence blows all those theories out of the water. Thomas could touch the risen Jesus. This was no ghost, no hallucination. And this reinforces for us that Jesus' resurrection was a physical resurrection, not just a spiritual experience. He bodily rose from the dead. Now, apart from dealing with the sceptics and the bodily and physical resurrection of Jesus has wonderful implications for the Christian understanding of resurrection life. Not least of all, it tells us that we can look forward to a bodily resurrection ourselves and that we'll spend eternity in a tangible, physical new creation. That is all very exciting, but that's not the main point here, so that's really for another time. What this does give us is further evidence for belief in the resurrection. Certainly Thomas is in no doubt. Look what he says in verse 28. My Lord and my God. It's the only logical response. If Jesus has risen from the dead, then he is who he claimed to be. He is none other than God himself. That's what Thomas realised and that's what Thomas declared. And note that as Thomas made that momentous declaration, Jesus accepted it. He accepted Thomas's worship. That is very telling because throughout the Old Testament, God is jealous of any other person or any other thing being worshipped other than him. Thomas knows that, but Jesus certainly knows that. And yet Jesus accepts Thomas worshipping him as God. This, of course, is where John's gospel has been heading from the very beginning. And this is precisely the right response to Jesus. He is God and we should worship him. In this moment, Thomas has got so much so right And yet there's a lot that's wrong. As we've seen right through this chapter, each resurrection encounter moves us on in our understanding of of what the resurrection means for us now. And so Jesus says to Thomas, verse 29, because you have seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who've not seen and yet have believed. Jesus wants Thomas and us to see that people come to faith in Jesus not by seeing Jesus, but through the testimony of the apostles, the eyewitnesses. In verse 29, Jesus says, Thomas, because you've seen me, you've believed. But second half of verse 29, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And how are we to believe unless we see? Well, we're to believe on the evidence of the eyewitnesses. That's what this this whole chapter is about. And that's what the next two verses are about as well verse 30 Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah the son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name do you see what John says here verse 30 there were tons of miracles that Jesus performed and the disciples saw them all they were in the presence of the disciples tons of miracles that aren't recorded in this book But crucially, verse 31, these miracles are written that you may believe, that you may have faith. And there are two things that all this means for us. First, faith is believing in the eyewitness evidence. Over the years, I've had people wistfully say to me, oh, I wish I had your faith. I have to say, I'm always a bit taken aback when people say that to me because I don't think that I'm a man of great faith at all. But I, I know what they mean. As I speak to people about the truth of Christianity, and as I do that with great assurance, people are saying, I wish I could be as confident as you that that all this is true. 
Well, look, verse 31 tells you how you can have that same confidence and faith. It comes through investigating the evidence, studying what the eyewitnesses have written down for us. Faith isn't some ability to conjure up from within ourselves a desire to believe things that are frankly unbelievable. No, faith or belief or trust, it's all the same word. Faith doesn't come from within ourselves at all, but from looking at the evidence that is presented to us, and especially the evidence of the miracles. That's verse 31. Jesus said these, John said, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John's gospel is structured around seven miracles. The first is back in chapter two, where Jesus is at a wedding and the wine runs out and Jesus turns gallons of water into the best wine you've ever tasted. The second miracle comes in chapter four, where we see Jesus healing a boy who is very close to death. He snatches him from from death's door just by saying the word. The little lad is cured. Then we see Jesus feeding 5000 people with a little boy's packed lunch. And then after that, Jesus walked on water. And then a man who was born blind is given sight by Jesus. (laughs) A man who had never seen a thing is suddenly able to see flowers and trees and hills and cats and apples and bananas and and the faces of his own family. And then Jesus raises a dead, a, a dead man from the grave. Yes, he actually brought someone back to life, a man who'd been buried for four days, a man who was dead and buried, was raised to life. And it was all done in full view of a watching crowd. And then comes the greatest miracle of the lot, Jesus' own resurrection, never to die again. It's what we've been thinking about these last weeks in John chapter 20. Crucially, Jesus' resurrection and all his miracles were seen by reliable eyewitnesses. And John, one of the eyewitnesses, says, I've written this book so that you can see for yourself what Jesus did and so that you can do the maths. If Jesus actually did all these miracles that defied the laws of nature, if Jesus did things that no one else can do, if Jesus performed death-defying miracles, who else do you think he is? And if this is an historically reliable document written by authentic and reliable eyewitnesses, then faith isn't something you have to work up from within yourself. No, faith is going with the evidence. It's trusting what the eyewitnesses have put before us. So if you're not a committed Christian this morning, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate that. Let me encourage you to look at the eyewitness evidence for yourself. Send us an email with your postal address and we'll send you a copy of John's Gospel so that you can read it for yourself. If you are a Christian this morning, when you speak to friends about what you believe, ask them to read a Gospel with you. John's Gospel would be perfect because, verse 31, this has been written that people may believe that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah and that by believing they may have life in his name. This gospel has been written to give people all the evidence they need to make an informed decision about who Jesus is and then to put their faith, their trust in him. And if I may, if you're a Christian, when people ask you penetrating questions, questions that you find difficult to answer, please don't brush their questions aside by saying, ah, that's just where you have to have faith. That is such an unhelpful response. Because faith is not the blind acceptance of things we can't explain. No, verse 31, faith, belief, same word, comes from a reasoned and considered look at the evidence. 
So Christian, when you're talking to someone who doesn't believe, show them the evidence. Encourage them to read John's gospel, to listen to the eyewitnesses. You see, that's where Thomas went wrong. He got back from the co-op with his bag of crisps and reliable eyewitnesses said to him, we've seen the Lord. And it was a whole week later before Jesus appeared to them again. And so what, what do you think they talked about for a week? I, I can't believe that they said, oh, Thomas, uh, we've seen the Lord. And uh, Watford pulled off a surprising win against Man City. And have you seen the price of fish recently? No, we've seen the Lord would have been the topic of conversation day after day after day and all day long. They'd seen Jesus risen from the dead. They wouldn't have been talking about other things. And so where Thomas went wrong was that he was given clear evidence from reliable eyewitnesses, but he would not believe. And, you know, sometimes there comes a point when where there's a weight of evidence that means that it's unreasonable not to believe. So first, faith is believing in the eyewitness evidence. Second, faith today is on an equal par with the faith of the apostles back then. Look back to verse 29. Jesus said to Thomas, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who've not seen me and yet have believed. This says that we don't need to be wistful and say, you know, if only I'd seen Jesus or been able to touch him or, you know, been born back then, then I'd believe. Then my faith would be stronger. No, we believe in the Lord Jesus on the basis of what the apostles saw and then wrote down for us. And crucially, our faith is just as real as theirs, just as real as the apostles, as those who saw. Verse 29 again, Thomas, you've believed because you've seen. But verse 29, blessed, blessed are those, happy are those who've not seen and yet believed. The point is this, Jesus continues to reveal himself through the scriptures. Our faith is not a second-hand faith or a second-rate faith just because we didn't see. As we put our trust in Jesus through reading the Bible, the eyewitness evidence, so our faith is on a par with the apostles. So if you and I want to grow in our faith, we have to keep reading the Bible. If you and I want to be blessed, to use the word in verse 29, keep reading the Bible. We will see Jesus as we read his word. Look, there's a deck direct correlation here between the strength of our faith and bible reading when you look at other people and you wish you had their faith you can their faith has come through years of daily bible reading so let me ask you how's it going are you committed to putting time aside each day to read your bible are you committed to making bible reading a, a daily discipline like getting out of bed and taking a shower and eating your breakfast and, and cleaning your teeth. I never forget to do any of those things day by day. I make them part of my daily routine. In the same way, read the Bible and pray every day. Build it into your routine. And as you do, you will get to know Jesus more and more because Jesus reveals himself through the scriptures. At our staff meeting earlier this week, a number of the team said that people were finding routine difficult in these days of lockdown. Every day feels the same, and as routine has gone out of the window, the daily discipline of Bible reading has gone with it. So let me encourage you to put a measure of routine back into your day if you've lost it. Get up at a reasonable time if you stop doing that. Set yourself some goals each day. Take some exercise each day. I can guarantee you, you'll feel better for a routine. And in that routine, be sure that a time of Bible reading and prayer is included. 
you'll not only feel better for it, but you'll grow in your faith. You'll, you'll, you'll trust Jesus more. And as you trust him, you can be sure, end of verse 31, that you have life in his name. You'll become increasingly certain of eternal life. And that is a wonderful security to have in these days when we're surrounded by death. Finally, I love how personal verse 31 is. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you may have life in his name. John, the author of this gospel, is writing to you. He may have written this 2,000 years ago, but he had you in mind and everyone who would read these words that you may believe, that you may have life, eternal life. That is a wonderful thing to be sure of. This tells us that while you have a Bible open in your hands, then you are in the right place at the right time. And trusting the eyewitness evidence, you and I can be as blessed and be as connected to Jesus as Thomas ever was. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that even though we feel as if we're in the wrong place at the wrong time, we thank you that with the Bible open in front of us, we can uh, come to see Jesus just as clearly as those first apostles ever did. We pray you'd help us to be people who do keep delving into your word, the Bible, day by day. And as we do, may our faith grow and our understanding of you grow and our assurance of eternal life grow. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.